And I think there's a recognition that the kind of long form education that happens in Jewish day schools that happens over many years where students build affective relationships to Israel through language and culture, Israeli students and Israeli teachers, uh, and learn about the history of Israel, not just from 1948 or not just from, you know, the late 19th century, but from thousands of years ago is so important. Hello, and welcome to another Prisma podcast. My name is Elliot Rabin, and I'm Prisma's Director of Thought Leadership. Today, we are talking with a group of day school heads from the San Francisco Bay Area about a trip they took together to Israel during the war in Gaza and leading their schools during this stressful time. We are pleased to welcome today Dan Glass, head of the Brandeis School of San Francisco, Tanya Schweig, head of Oakland Hebrew Day School, Dean Goldfein, Contra Costa Jewish Day School in Lafayette, and Adam Elat of the Warnick Jewish Day School in Foster City, all in California. Welcome, everybody. So to begin, uh, I just want to check in with you and see how you're doing, how you're doing uh, handling your schools, the environment, uh, and especially during this time. Holding together the the community um, of folks here in the school feels tough. Like I, I feel very good about what we're doing. I feel good about how people are supporting one another and, you know, making space for people to feel the range of things that they're feeling um, in response to the war. Yeah, it's it, it does feel like a tightrope walk sometimes. I feel like this incredible privilege of um, because they're, we're surrounded by so much hostility and anti-Semitism um, in our communities. Um, and there's just, there's a lot of tension in the broader community. And I just, I think that there's a way in which um, more than any other time I can think of this privilege of being in a Jewish space, um, being a safe haven for Jewish families um, and for, for faculty. It's like the one place where like, you don't have to apologize for anything and, and people can be real about how they're feeling. And also just like, you don't have to be on, on defense. Um, so yeah, it feels, I feel really lucky every single day to come to a place where I don't, I don't need to hold all of that kind of fight or flight response when I'm here at school. Yeah, when when uh, I went on the trip, I was on sabbatical. And so I've just been back at work for four days. And I I knew when you know, I, I talked uh, when I was on the trip about this, how good it was to be part of a group. Not, of course, being in Israel was most important, but just being with uh, with um, the group, other heads of school, friends, because the hard part of sabbatical was uh, the middle of October uh, and and coming back and hearing how important, just what Tanya said, the other staff were feeling because that's how I'm connecting. I connected to them you know, by phone, by text during that time, but I didn't come back to school and I wasn't in a daily place. I was walking, walking the, the streets of Berkeley and Oakland and feeling that tension uh, there. I agree to most of what everyone shared. I think the safe space thing really resonates uh, with me on a number of levels. 
Um, I would say that there's sort of two things in terms of how I'm feeling now as a professional. One is that um, I think, you know, here in Northern California, it's just a regular weekly occurrence that some municipality is, is, is considering a resolution uh, that we feel, you know, isn't at least in the organized centralized Jewish community, we oppose both for its uh, uh, scope creep in terms of what a municipality should be engaging in, but also in terms of what it brings out from the community in terms of public statements and the kind of anti-Israel and anti-Semitic rhetoric it encourages. So I feel that, you know, we had one, uh, we, our city council considered whether to bring a motion to the council uh, before winter break. And that certainly brought out a lot of our families. And I felt like I had a professional responsibility to be involved and, and to be on the, you know, to be on the call. Um, and, and, and the same goes for when that happens in other local uh, you know, school districts or, or, uh, or municipalities. I'd also say that I feel like just like, uh, you know, the, the minister of defense in Israel has said a number of times that we're entering a new phase of the war. I sort of feel that here a little bit, that it's not top of mind for our students in the same way it was in October, November, and December. And I find myself not forcing it on the students, but certainly conscious in my Divrei Torah, like this morning, you know, we have an all school tefillah on Thursday morning that, that I find myself, I find it myself, you know, I find myself needing to remind the students uh, of certain moral imperatives and lessons that I feel will awaken their hearts and spirits and connect them to action um, uh, in supporting Israel and ensuring that they're doing their part to support our people during this time. Thanks for bringing up some of the news <laughs> that we've been seeing, you know, nationally and around the world, the, the news, especially from the, the city council of Oakland, of San Francisco, these, um, the, they, the, the, the need, and, and this is, you know, kind of emblematic of many, so many groups on the left that feel a need to, to make some kind of pronouncement about this war. One of the stranger moments for me of our trip in Israel was, and we were there when the Oakland city council meeting happened. Um, and we're of course, four heads of school from the Bay area. And, you know, so we're getting into a van to drive down to the South. We were going to a Sapir college in Starot and, you know, doing some other stuff in the South on that particular day. And we had, um, we had a guard with us that day, which was the one day that we did. And, um, and as we're getting in the car to head down there, he was sort of like, so, so what's up with the city council in Oakland? You know, so like our, our local political context was, you know, literally following us there to Israel. And, and I think there was a real bewilderment among the people that the Israelis that we were visiting with about what to make of Bay Area politics, but maybe even I would say more broadly progressive politics in the U.S. vis-a-vis uh, -vis the war. And obviously nothing has been solved there. We're in San Francisco. We just had the San Francisco version of it on Monday night. There's a very familiar kind of uh, routine to these things at this point, but it it is still very upsetting. We had a parent minion on Tuesday morning here in my office, right where I'm sitting right now. And we had a couple people who had been there for the meeting and just feeling, a, I think, a lot of despair 
about you know what it means to be to be a Jewish person in the Bay Area these days. It's tough. You gave you gave a glimpse of of one group in your school. I'm wondering how the atmosphere in in San Francisco and and its environs is impacting your school specifically your school community and how how your community is responding i mean i know there are some schools that are quite divided currently over the war and uh, what what are you seeing in your schools we're not seeing division in our school even though I'm sure there are differences of opinion, probably when you, if everyone were to get into a detailed conversation overall, there's a sense of, I think a lot of cohesion in that safe space piece. Um, what I think I, I've been kind of noticing is, I mean, this is true with the synagogues and now the school kind of playing this role too. I, um, there are all these like little efforts going on. Like I'm a part of a steering committee of a group in Berkeley that's trying to fight anti-Semitism. And now that's like, you know, that, that you've got like all of all people who were never involved in grassroots organizing are um, who are members of our school community or school communities are kind of finding themselves suddenly trying to go, wait, I went to this meeting and, and I looked around and there were hundreds of these other people who were so, so organized and we're not organized. And so, so the way that I think of it, like kind of like the way that in the civil rights movement, the churches were so central to um, grassroots organizing. And I think, you know, the shuls and the schools are now places of um, of grassroots organizing. And um, and so there are ways of getting lots of people toward, you know, uh, everybody sign up for this thing, come to this action. And, and the school has not been formally pumping that out, but we are, you know, going to be making space for for sharing those kinds of opportunities um, with people because I think we have to. Interesting. And also, I, I've even reflected that I think weirdly, there's there's also just like the way that like activism can bring people together. Um, also, this sounds. I mean, I don't mean this to sound um, take this the wrong way, but I think they're also like it's a strange kind of opportunity to build relationships across geographic areas in our school, across like like people might not have the same religious observance. Um, we're a pretty diverse school. Um, they can come together around this stuff, um, and so there are also opportunities. The unity that you feel when you're in Israel, certainly very dramatically when we were there. The comfort, like as I was walking with Tanya, we were walking off the plane. It's just like, oh, there's this feeling again when you're here. Um, and it's really special. And it contrasts. The schools are that bubble. It, I came back wondering the same thing you're asking, Elliot. How's, you know, wh where's where's the community? Uh, and the answer was pretty, pretty solidly uniform. That's why the comfort level for staff, uh, particularly, of course, Israeli staff, and so that's where I'm spending a lot of time, my time thinking and when I'm thinking back to the time w w when we were there and what our work is moving forward is, um, which has always been the hard work that half or probably 40% you know, of the Jewish world lives in Israel, 40% in the United States and others, I'm sure my stats are off, but basically the two large centers were, were representing Israel here through the, the day school world and the shuls. And... Um, I can't say I've reached any conclusion other than that I know that those bridges and those connections are where I feel my work uh, has has been, but is much, much more importantly now. I certainly feel 
uh, what Tanya and, and Dean shared in terms of uh, our school being a bubble uh, in the larger community. And, and, and uh, it goes back to what you asked about, Elliot, about, about the area we're, we're located in. Um, I want to add something that unique that's happened at our school that you know perhaps has happened at others. I think there's an enormous concern right now among leaders of you know national Jewish organizations and major Jewish institutions in geographic areas like ours about how we win the hearts and minds of the Jewish community. I'm not even talking about the larger community, but, but members of the Jewish community, members of Jewish households. I think one sort of you mentioned the Oakland City Council resolution. Uh, I know it was famous for that soundbite, you know, that that that, that three to four minute video. But our rabbi, you know, the the week I, I happen to live in Oakland, and our rabbi, the week after um, that resolution, you know, his Dvar Torah was largely about the Jewish member, the members of the Jewish community who were speaking out and saying many of those inflammatory comments. Um, and I, so I'm going to go back to my point about about our school in a second, but I think there's a recognition that the kind of education that Instagram offers, that social media offers, the kind of education that is bite-sized, is is confined, you know, to a couple of minutes, that we believe that 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 some people believe, you know, uh, is really, really important to invest in in order to win over the hearts and minds uh, of members of the Jewish community is not effective. And I think there's a recognition that the kind of long-form education that happens in Jewish day schools, that happens over many years, where students build affective relationships to Israel through language and culture, Israeli students and Israeli teachers, uh, and learn about the history of Israel, not just from 1948 or not just from you know, the late 19th century, but from thousands of years ago, is so important. And I've seen, just so you know, we, we did a, you know, we invited all of our alumni who are currently in high schools, it's about 80 students, to our school just for pizza one afternoon uh, after October 7th. And we had about half of them show up, a little more than half, which was a lot. We don't really get alumni turned out like that. And we had our Jewish history teacher, our Jewish studies teacher, who's a shaliach from Israel, speak to them. And the craving for knowledge was so intense from them. And after that, the requests we got from the local preschools and local synagogues uh, and parent communities to have him come and talk uh, and explain the conflict in, you know, in a slow, methodical way you know, not you know, they were they weren't looking for three to four minute sound bites. So I think what we're seeing is perhaps a little bit of envy of our community. I mean, Tanya talked about like the fact that we're quite united, but I think the rest of the community is looking to us and saying, "Wow, you know, I I, I now realize how important that type of education is. That sort of you know immersive, intensive, long what I'm calling long form uh, for the purposes of this podcast <laughs> education. You know, how important that is. Yeah." That's very, very powerful. And I, I know uh, schools throughout the country are feeling it. Maybe you're feeling it a little bit more because of the pressures that you're seeing outside your windows uh, every day. I, I know that throughout the country, everywhere that there are people who, who work in day schools, uh, they're feeling tremendous gratitude for that bubble. And we need to expand that bubble in ways that you were just talking about. So before we jump into the trip, which is uh, the main thing we're here for, I just want to ask about uh, you as leaders. Has your role as a leader shifted? Do you feel it shifted since uh, October 7th? Do you feel like you need to be the explainer of what's going on to your larger community? Or just, I'm just curious, you know, what you've what you've felt and and how how your role has been affected. 
I don't really feel like my role has changed that much, but I, I did feel like there was no way to lead a community with as a you know a Jewish community without going like once we made the decision like let's do this all of a sudden it was like I don't have a choice <laughs> like I have to do this I'm so glad people are going to go with me even if if my role has stayed the same like it's almost more of like an internal like the just the need to be there in order to understand my role better so let's let's build upon that let's let's jump on and what was it that in, that gave you that feeling that you particularly as the head have to go to Israel now? It was just, it felt like everything has changed and I have to, I have to understand. And the only way I can understand, like I can learn about some other people's experience by reading, but I can't learn about my own people's experience just by reading. Like I have to feel it with my body. I have to see the look in someone's eyes. I have to get into the hard conversation with someone. I need to feel the energy of their overwhelmed exhaustion. Um, and I have to see what I don't know I'm is there, you know? Um, it was just like, I'm a learner and my body has to be engaged in the learning, not just my mind. I'm wondering, the, the others, can, you can jump in. I'm wondering um, both on a personal level, like Tanya described, but also as the head, you know, there's something, obviously you're, you're a leader and there's something very symbolic about taking this trip. And I'm wondering what this trip meant for you at both personally and professionally and why you, why you felt you, you needed to do this. Well, I'm just, I, we are what we do. And, you know, you feel that when you're working in a Jewish day school, because it's, it's actually a countercultural because the large percentage of people aren't going to our schools. Well, we keep uh, growing, and so, but still, we uh, we know that's the case. And so, when the step, when for me, it just felt, yeah, if there's a trip, we should go because people are looking to us as leaders, and I'm looking at myself and saying, I I, I want to connect, I want to be there. Um, and then you can see immediately, even during the run up planning. And I went through something. I, I grew up in San Francisco, so I have a lot of Jewish friends, some of whom connect deeply to um, things that I do Jewishly and some who've kind of gone away from it. And I had a number of people reaching out after October 7th, because I represent for, for people who aren't connected, someone they can comfortably connect to. And those were some of the most interesting conversations. Uh, and when I was telling my friends I was going to go to Israel, I got a range from some getting it immediately to others who were like, oh, are you going to be safe? And like 7 million people are living there. Like there's millions of people living there. Uh, but it's nice you're concerned. And they were awakening to how important Israel was to them. Yeah. And then uh, for my family, it's more important, meaning the families in the school and the teachers, you could tell how important it was to them. Um, and I didn't really even have to write or say anything. I mean, I did, but it was the act of going and then the act of sharing. So I just think it on a gut level, that's what I uh, it worked and then it plays out as important at the time and then since then very much so intuitively like uh, it was tanya that first suggested it to our our blissserv and and i was just immediately clear that um it felt right to me um kind of picking up on adam's notion of kind of like a long form kind of engagement 
Um, I think a, a piece of what feels distinct in the wake of October 7th is a, a kind of foregrounding of Jewish peoplehood in my understanding of my own role um, and my also uh, the role of, of our schools in the fabric of the Bay Area Jewish community. Uh, like, like Dean, I'm a Bay Area native. And so, you know, sometimes it's a little hard to see the water you're swimming in. One of the ways that I understand the distinction that our families are feeling, because as others have said, heard a lot from faculty and staff and families, just profound gratitude to be able to be in a space like Brandeis at this time. And I think it's, it's not that this represents any sort of singular perspective, but that Jewish peoplehood is kind of centered in the experience of being in schools like ours. And so um, there are all these things about how you understand what's happening in Israel, the um, the deep histories of what's happening there, the layers of, you know, how people are uh, in anguish over both what has happened on October 7th and also what is happening on an ongoing basis with, you know, their children fighting in Gaza and, uh, and for uh, the, you know, Palestinian folks that they we're in community with trying to uh, build shared society and all of that. There's these, the, the, um, the long form and sort of um, layered uh, richness of, um, of how you can understand something in community. I think it exists in our schools. And frankly, the moment you step out these doors, it's just gone. Like there is, there is no nuance in the Bay Area right now vis-a-vis uh, -vis Israel. And and so it's it's like a, such a stark contrast. So for me, as I think about like, not just the experience of being there, which was, you know, so profoundly about this human to human connection and really seeing people's individual experiences of trying to lead schools, for example, in the wake of October 7th. Uh, I think a big piece of that, the the work for me is like, how do we bring more of that uh, richness of understanding and experience and empathy forward to, you know, the communities that aren't in our walls? You know, maybe it's the Jewish communities that are not here. And as Dean notes, the majority of the Bay Area Jewish community is not represented in our school, uh, but also the non-Jewish community as well. Let's talk about, let's get to the, the nuts and bolts of the trip. Tell us what your itinerary was and one or two things that stood out for you, for each of you. I'll start with Adam. We spent, uh, you know, I would say we spent two nights in Tel Aviv and one night in Jerusalem. And our trip was supported by the Jewish Community Federation, um, who actually provided some uh, funding to support our trip as well, which was also really touching, just to say that the community recognized how important it was for, for us as leaders to go. It was really beautiful. Uh, we arrived late uh, on the first day, um, met up with uh, Barack Luzon, who is uh, the Jewish Community Federation's uh, staff lead in Israel uh, for the Bay Area. Uh, and he's also a, a staff person uh, with the president's office in Israel, uh, working on some special initiatives. And, you know, just had dinner with him and headed over to Hostage Square. It was, the you know, I, I consume the news only in Hebrew. 
And it was, uh, and I uh, watched, you know, watched the news in Israel daily. And, and until that point, that square had been packed with people every single night. And when we arrived, it was completely empty. It was it was quite shocking for me. I mean, one of the only people who we saw there was Ron Khudai, who's the mayor of Tel Aviv, was there. But other than that, it was it was quite empty. The following day, we really focused on the center of Israel, um, the, the Merkaz, and we met with two different communities that had been displaced. Uh, one was Nativ HaSara that was located in South, South Tel Aviv in a hotel. And the second was Kfar Aza, uh, which was located in Kibbutz Shvaim in, uh, near Herzliya. Uh, and then met with a uh, surfing program, actually, in Batyam that's helping people who, who are recovering from trauma. Uh, the following day was spent in Sderot, uh in the surrounding area. And then uh, we went to a unrecognized Bedouin uh, community, Bedouin village. Um, that the Jewish Community Federation supports with um, with mobile bomb shelters. Explain um, just briefly what that means, unrecognized. Meaning that it's not recognized as a, uh, it's not re- it doesn't it's not recognized as a municipality, which means it's not eligible for basic services, sometimes including water, electricity. But importantly for for the war, uh, it's not on the Iron Dome's radar. It's it it certainly feels more vulnerable, and the mobile bomb shelters that our federation is providing are really important for the community's physical safety and feeling of safety. Um, and then we headed to Jerusalem and we, were, we visited the Jerusalem Hamal, the civil war room. Uh, volunteered there. Um, the last day we were there, we were supposed to have a, a pretty full day, including visiting in the school. We were supposed to visit uh, Pelech Boys, which had lost. Their um, their head of school uh, a week or two earlier, but uh, that morning there was a there was a, a shooting in Jerusalem uh, right at the entrance of the city, and our plans got changed. So we headed to Sharei Tzedek and visited another uh, uh, military base in Jerusalem in the Gilo area of Jerusalem. I think for me the most poignant uh, part of the trip were, were were the personal stories that we heard, especially of. Israelis who lived through the attack, uh, and the two stories really that stand out with me the most are were during our visit to Kfar Aza. We heard from an individual who uh, hid in a room with her family, um, and just the desperation as she told us the story and the the mess we were encountering in her mind as she made sense of what had happened to her, her community, but also her her sense of Israeliness. She, 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 this this woman uh, came from a pretty left wing community, and just her sorting out her political identity felt very powerful to me. Um, and the second story that really stood out was from a uh, a professor at the community college of Sterot who um, had to defend herself intensely as her home came under fire in Kibbutz Erez. Uh, and that was just a powerful moment of it felt like of just bearing witness. We were just bearing witness to something horrific that had happened, and it felt really meaningful to be there as well. Two additional pieces for me. One, the first night we met with a woman uh, who's a therapist and was working on um, supporting the families of the kidnapped, um, and hearing from her about uh, sort of the challenges of the ambiguous loss of people who um, have kidnapped family members where they don't actually know what's become of them. It's a very different kind of loss than the death of a loved one, um, one that they don't have a great 
body of clinical work around in Israel. And so they, you know, just the, the learning on the fly, like she's somebody who knows something about this. And so she's teaching other therapists who are then working with families. Um, she told us herself a story of the moment of the morning of October 7th, um, realizing that her son had gone down to the to the party down in the desert that had not been the plan and getting a call from him that he was being shot at and running away and dropping her phone and losing touch with her son for several hours. Um, and, and she said, you know, I'm, I'm sharing this with you. So you understand that it, that, that I myself is, am traumatized and that here in Israel, what's going on right now is it's, the traumatized trying to help the traumatized like if it's just zero degrees of separation everywhere we went you know uh, a memorial for a dead waitress in the the restaurant we went to the first night um just everywhere uh i was also so barack uh luzon who uh helped us and sort of led this trip his son uh called into the reserves and was in gaza and while we were there with him, um, his son, uh, you know, got a day's leave so he could come out and take a shower and see his parents. And I, I think it was the first time he had seen him in like 53 days or something. And just seeing the how wrenched uh, Barack was as a human being around the these attacks and what it meant to try and do the work of building shared society and peace building work um and and also just his own sense of of fear and concern for his son those stories will will stick with me the story of i think it was galit but she when she told the story she do you remember what if i'm getting it right she said so he's telling me this and i said you know that's not funny the human part of it. I work with people. That's really, you shouldn't make fun. And he's like, no, mom, I'm, I'm, I'm really, there's that moment of a mom. Cause that's something I might've said to my son in the moment of, cause he just didn't know. Um, and it made it really real. And that's the contrast I would come back to is I was, uh, I had written down some, some of the memories and one was the, one of the last stops, I think Karen was her name. Uh, the, the, who was, um, uh, working in the in in Jerusalem for the IDF and her reserve function, and it was just hearing her talk about her life as an Israeli in this moment of crisis, and also across time, like the life before October seventh, and that contrast to this world we live in here, which has its own anxieties, struggles. It's not easy to live here in the Bay Area or in America, Jewishly, and that that's a part of what I feel like going did for me and I, I hoped it wouldn't it did is just give me that 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 anchoring in the reality of of people who are in this moment of uh, adapting which uh and just living differently and and that connection and ultimately to israel which is is a challenge frankly when you for me when i live in the diaspora to keep up and and so i'm really trying to hold on to that and um and of course our families who have family in Israel, they provide that already over a few days, the story. So those are my my kind of reflections, the, the, the way that being there provided that layer of of their humanity and, and their everyday. There were so many different experiences that were so powerful. I I would say that there were kind of 
but many big takeaways, three I can, I want to say right now, like one is just this sense of awe, the, the pivoting, the just on every level, just the ways that it was like, you meet with someone and it's like, well, my job used to be this, but now I'm completely organizing all education for this municipality. And we're integrating 2000 kids into like creating schools. And we're like the, this, cause I, you know, we know as heads, what it's like to pivot. We've done that. We all, you know, led during COVID and, um, and we know how complex it is, um, to make any kind of change and just to watch like on every level, like we went and visited this incredible surfing intervention, surfing school intervention that just like blew my mind and opened my heart. And it was like, oh, they do this really cool thing with at-risk youth. And now they've completely pivoted to trauma support with a much wider range of ages than they usually work with. And like just every, everywhere, everybody was pivoting in every kind of possible way. So I had just like this feeling of, oh my gosh, our people are so capable. And there's an incredible pride. And I've talked a lot about that with people being back here. Another thing was that, that a theme that came out a lot was, I keep calling it, it's like the, like the thinning of the membrane between Jew, um, Israeli Jews and Jews in the diaspora that, you know, as a, I've been to Israel so many times, I love Israel so deeply. It just, you know, feels so connected there. I have so many friends there. And, and for all these visits and all these times, like I've always had a feeling of like, and I'm the American Jew who's coming to Israel. And there's, there's, you know, always been this, like a, some form of like attention that just feels present. And even though, yes, I'm an American Jew and, you know, and I'm not experiencing everything they're experiencing, like the sense of the permeability of, of um, Jewish love. I don't know how else to say it. Like, like I felt, I, I thought I was going to give strength and to show solidarity. And we were thanked, like we were so thanked, you know, going into making this trip, there was, we all had a moment of like, is this something we should do? Like, we want to do it, but is this going to be like being annoying to them? Like, do they really need a bunch of Americans coming right now? Like, maybe that's the last thing they need. Um, and we were assured, please come, please come, please come. And when we were there, we were just, people were so grateful we were there. What I didn't expect, I, more than I expected, and what I didn't expect was to feel so supported to come away having received solidarity. I didn't know how much I needed that solidarity. I, it, it was like, you know, it was almost like you finally got approval from your parent, you know, <laughs> like, like we love you Jews in America. You know, it's not like, it's not just like, Hey, come move here. If you don't move here, you don't really know what it's like. It was like, are you okay? We're so worried about you. We're here. We love you. I, I mean, it, that was profound. I, that's still living inside of me. Um, if only for that, it was worth going. Um, I didn't expect to be strengthened. And the other piece I think that was very powerful that I have found myself bearing witness, like sharing as a witness here a lot, um, is just how that, that shift of, you know, very left-wing people are like, we met with someone um, who works for a peace building organization it's like, that's what he does. That's his bread and butter is peace building is fluent in Arabic. And, and he's not going to stop doing that. But he just looked me in the eyes and was like, 
I want to join the army. Like he's, he made Aliyah and is, you know, like that was a, like when people that like that are saying that it tells you something. And I, and I have been, I've been sort of quoting him and quoting others as a way of illustrating to people here, you know, what it really feels like to be over there. Um, as kind of like an answer to some of the of of the news reels over here, honey, I just want to respond to one thing. One thing you said, I agree with most of it. It's I, it's funny because I walked away with a different feeling around the diaspora. I do remember that feeling of appreciation, but I sort of have a. I walked away with a feeling, and I'm trying to tie it to like what what exactly I heard that the diaspora wasn't as important anymore. I obviously understand how important the diaspora is, both in in terms of our fundraising capacity, in terms of our solidarity, in terms of the role we play in American, you know, in American uh, foreign policy in Israel. I understand a lot of those different things, but this didn't feel like a, a global peoplehood moment to me. It felt to me like Israel was really focused on its own unity and you know, if 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 anything happened to the diaspora, it was a nice sort of like topping on the on the on the dessert. It wasn't um that 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 they were really focused on mending the the wounds and the pain that had been sowed before October 7th internally and getting rid of you know these labels of left, right, religious, secular, ultra-orthodox, Arab, you know, like and really working towards internal unity. And that the relationship with Jews in the diaspora wasn't as important. And like there was that one experience we had where people asked us about Oakland City Council, you know. But other than that, I I didn't I didn't feel it as much. So I just thought it was interesting that you brought that up. Well, can I clarify? Because I don't I don't think I agree with you that I didn't have the sense of it being like it it wasn't about like oh we need to keep the diaspora Jews like helping us through America. I felt cared about profoundly as a Jew. Like I, the sense of fellow Jew was the, the, for me, the walking away. Um, like, because people literally was like, you know, it's all the same. Like we're all, you know, like you belong here. We like, we're all in this together. That was the feeling I had. We are all in this together. That separation of geography doesn't mean what it, what it meant before. I want to uh, transition now to build upon what Tanya was saying about bringing bringing the message back home. She talked about how the feelings, the thoughts, the impressions that she brought back to her school. I'm wondering what did you communicate and how did you communicate it with different stakeholders, including you know students. I, I think it's something that we all probably wrestled with and continue to wrestle with. It's something we talked about on the trip and coming back from the trip. You know, what are we going to communicate? How are we going to communicate? I made time to meet with all of our students, uh, third third grade and, and up. I met with them before the trip and then met with them again after the trip and shared about it, shared with our faculty and staff and our board, uh, shared it at my shul. But honestly, the 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 things that have felt most impactful to me were individual conversations I've had with other folks in the Jewish community about the experiences that I had, because I feel like we were given the privilege of bearing witness, as Adam put it, to some some really profound 
traumas, frankly, as they were still unfolding in these people's lives. And so to be able to share that back with people, I think it has, you know, it's it penetrated the sort of glossiness of the news cycle a little bit to like hear about real lived experiences of actual human beings. It's somehow very, very different than consuming it on social media. You know, I, I think we also, well, I'll just speak for myself. I, I still feel there's a lot more to be done with um, the experiences that we had um, in terms of wanting wanting to make it as useful to the community broadly writ as I possibly can. How have you changed? What changed for you during this trip? And has any of that kind of carried over into your work in the school? I just wanted to say about the, you know, how we're talking about it after and, and how our schools are. I would say that in our school, there's a lot of families that are still trying to figure out what October 7th means for them as Jews. Our school at Warnick happens to be, you know, about 40% Israeli. And since October 7th, we've welcomed, we've had some students who have come and returned, but, you know, in total, we've accepted about, you know, a dozen and a half, about 18, 18 students to our school. And we have many more students applying and looking at our school for next year. And, uh, you know, the, the first part of sort of what's going on for us is like this, this really interesting kind of <laughs> seeming, it's like seemingly dissonant this feeling of unity and solidarity and and resilience that we're feeling in Israel. And at the same time, this feeling of like, that we are a safe haven, actually doesn't feel that way here sometimes, but that we are a safe haven here in, you know, in the Bay Area for, for Israeli families. That's something that I'm still making sense of what that means um, and how long that's going to, how long that's, that people are going to feel that way. The other kind of major question that I think my community is grappling with is, is there a way where Israel becomes a safer place in the future, in the in the long term, not just this year, and Jewish communities in the diaspora also become safer? Is there a way where Israel gets stronger and we get stronger at the same time? I don't think we've resigned ourselves to believing that those are mutually exclusive, but we're wondering whether they can coexist, and we haven't figured out how those two things can coexist. And I hear parents grappling with that gra grappling with that in 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 various ways well i've come back uh in person so now i'm just starting to tell the stories uh as as i'm in communication mostly with teachers to start but also starting to with the middle school students that i taught last year a seventh grade judaics class and so doing the communicating it in an age and stage and i'm going to have a coffee with parents tomorrow it's all kind of in front of me right now and it's it's a challenge to do it in an authentic way, in a way that, you know, is going to be obviously careful with the younger uh, ages and how and what I share. But I, to your question uh, about how has it changed me, I found myself that the the purpose of why I went into this uh, field 30, almost 30 years ago, that is just, it just rose to the top, that the purpose of working uh and why it was exciting was that that feeling that this is important and boy you know the all these issues we're talking about are are pretty important and they're emotional and so um and intellectual at the same time so you know I, I i don't wish for this moment but it 
it feels like I'm in a good place to do the work I've wanted to do. And I'm trying to prioritize this work. And yet it is hard for all the reasons we've talked about for the last hour. Is there anything that we didn't discuss that you want to communicate now? I want to make sure, because it isn't really central to it, how much fun it was to be with uh, everybody on this call. If you'd been there, it would have been fun too. Uh, but that was a huge part for me, in part because I was on sabbatical, so I wasn't around, but really largely the work we do is really hard work as heads of small schools just to keep them going, let alone toss a existential crisis, whether in the diaspora and or in Israel uh, on top of it. And to get to spend the week with um, with you guys was really special. I, I really, it's a gift that I always treasure. I mean, I think that was something that we reflected on together afterwards as well. And like, we all work together. Like there's a group, 12 of us who actually have built, you know, continue to build beautiful relationship. And we have all kinds of collaborative effort, eff, collaborative efforts that we're um, engaged with together. There was just, it's like, you really bond when you do these kinds of things. I think all of us are kind of have this feeling of like more and more, like, like it's almost like the tip of the iceberg. Like how do we deepen this? What else could, like, what if, we like built on the depth of the connections that we feel with each other, the, the trust we have in each other. How can that serve Jewish education? How can it serve specifically Jewish education in a complex um, Jewish context like ours? I don't think any of us feel like that was the end of a story. Just a whole lot more like a very beginning. Thank you, Dan, Tanya, Dean, and Adam for reflecting on your pilgrimage to Israel and bearing witness to the lives of Israelis there today during this traumatic time post-October 7th. If you liked what you heard, please give the podcast five stars and share it with your friends and on social media. You can follow our podcasts by searching for Prisma on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. To learn more about Prisma, go to our website at www.prisma.org and follow us at Prisma CJDS. Prisma's work, including this podcast, is made possible by generous funders who believe deeply in the power of a great Jewish day school education. Visit prisma.org to add your name to the growing list of donors supporting day schools across North America. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed and we'll come back again soon for future episodes.